Hey, this is Brian with Mid-City Vineyard Church. Mid-City Vineyard is located right in the heart of New Orleans, 70119. And we meet on Saturday nights on Canal Street at 6 o'clock. So if you're ever looking for a place to worship, we would love to have you join us. You can check out Mid-City Vineyard on Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard Church. Check us out on Instagram, at Mid-City Vineyard, and of course online, midcityvineyard.org, if you're looking for a little bit more information about us. And for the last uh, number of weeks, we have been in a series entitled The Sermon on the Mount, as we've been working through the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This week is part 10, Blessed Are Those Who Are Persecuted. And our friend Newman Sanders, who is a part of our teaching team, is teaching this particular lesson this week. So, thanks for joining us. Let's head on over and hear what Newman has to say. Much peace to you. And just a few minutes ago, I was thinking about this. I was thinking that years ago, when I first started going to church at the vineyard in Kenner, and uh, I would show up and I was so looking forward to Phil's teaching. And then I would find out it was Brian. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I'd literally think about leaving. I was like, man, <laughs> Brian's teaching tonight. But I followed my wife into that church. With, she wasn't my wife at the time, but now she is. And, uh, so I probably just stayed a lot of time for that reason. Well, uh, put that on the screen? No, that was it. That was, that was my story, man. So, if, yeah, yeah. We got married. Yeah, that's right. I guess it's not, it's not over. Well, you know, I guess, I guess, yeah, I got sidetracked. So I guess the end of the story is, 10 years later, Brian plants a church. And, uh, you know, I follow him here. And uh, I was asked to be a part of it. And uh, it's just weird how things turn full circle. As if you could please... uh, Recite this prayer with me. Um, Lord, make me a channel of thy peace where there is hatred, I may bring love. Where there is wrong, may I bring the spirit of forgiveness. Where there is discord, may I bring harmony. Where there is error, I may bring truth. Where there is doubt, I may bring faith. And where there is despair, I may bring hope, where there is shadows, I may bring light. And where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, and to love than to be loved. Forgetting that one finds, it is by forgetting that one is forgiven. And it is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Amen. Church, what if 
What if the whole world strives to live this way? Imagine, just imagine where the world would be. It sounds like St. Francis was praying to turn things upside down, much as Christ is in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As you can tell, this is all upside down, because really, when does the merciful obtain mercy? When are the meek to inherit anything? You know, it's more, the way of the world is more about power over rather than power under. And I think that what Christ is teaching here is power under, instead of power over. Kind of just turned everything upside down, turned everything on its head. We've been teaching on the Beatitudes now for nine weeks. Tonight's the tenth week. We're on the eighth and the final beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. This is a quote. Vatican City, June 28th of this year. Pope Francis said that the way of Christ is a way of persecution. That following Christ means taking a path contrary to that of the world and being prepared to suffer because of this. Though we have hope because of God's constant presence, persecution is not a contradiction to the gospel, but is a part of it. If they persecuted our master, how can we hope that we will be spared that same struggle? persecuted our Lord, Christ. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. I think what he's saying is perhaps blessed are those for doing the right thing, for obeying God, the pursuit of peace, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, we live here. We live in New Orleans, Louisiana, the United States of America, in 2017. Chances are that we don't know a whole lot about persecution 
for being Christians. Chances are we don't know a lot about being persecuted for our faith, for our religious beliefs. That's not the case in many other parts of the world. When I was studying for this teaching, I came across a few stories that were recent. There are places in the world where a woman who converts to Christianity and decides that it's no longer necessary to wear a veil, no longer necessary to cover her face, can be murdered. They can be taken into the street and stoned to death because they've decided to follow Jesus, to follow Christ. I mean, this is something that just recently happened. And in these places, it's considered acceptable by some in the society. We don't see a whole lot of that out in Metairie, do we? In China, a student can be expelled from school because they're Christian and they refuse to denounce their faith. You see, in China, if you're expelled from school, you can no longer pursue further education. That's it. You've been expelled. So your employment and educational opportunities are just kind of stopped dead, kind of blacklisted within that country. And as far as your education and employment go, you're pretty much done unless you publicly denounce your Christianity, unless you come out and say, I'm no longer a Christian. A lot different here, isn't it? <laughs> a lot different. When was the last time that you were persecuted for being a Christian? Regardless of that title, Christian, any time that we live into the teachings of Jesus, being merciful, non-aggressive, living as though we have nothing to prove or nothing to gain, living as true peacemakers. When we decide to live the way of the kingdom instead of the way of the world, almost certainly there's going to be persecution to follow. Sometimes it even may come from people who call themselves Christians. Now let's think about this. When was the last time that you, that I, persecuted someone else? You see, it's a two-way street. We all, we all have our part in persecution. And when we do this, 
We're doing it because we think we're right. We are persecuting others in the name of righteousness. When was the last time that we persecuted someone for the way that they looked? Because they looked different than we were. For what we perceived, perhaps, their religious beliefs to be. Maybe not out loud, but in our hearts. Thinking better of ourselves. And once again, by doing this, we're power over instead of power under. We're choosing the road to be better than. You see, when was the last time that we cut someone with our tongue? You see, our words can cut deeper than a knife. And a lot of times they cause wounds that truly never heal. What about a child who's raised being told that they're stupid? What about a little girl who's raised being told that she's ugly? What about kids who are raised being told that they're less than because of the color of their skin? Have you ever said someone something to someone just to hurt them? I believe that anger and resentment can be used as a form of oppression and persecution by holding on to it. By making damn sure that the person you're resentful towards knows you. You make damn sure that it's obvious. Oppression doesn't have to be something said out loud or acted out on. It can be something as subtle as a belief or a feeling lurking in our hearts. I am so very passionate about this teaching. I'm sick of the things that I see going on in the world. And it just sucks the way that people treat each other today. It's all about power over. All about power over. Instead of power under. Whatever happens to love, tolerance and respect. Whatever happened to respect, where'd it go? Even amongst Christians. Even among people like us. Think about this. Can it be as simple as making a decision? Do we decide to hate rather than to love?
Do we decide to be angry or not? To accept our differences or to persecute each other because of them? Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. November the 14th, 1960, right here in New Orleans, this little girl, this is Ruby Bridges. Many of you have probably probably know who she is. You've probably heard this story. The federal courts have ordered that schools be desegregated. See, we couldn't just do this on our own. It had to be ordered by the courts. And Ruby Bridges was chosen to be the first African-American student in our city to attend public schools. She was ordered to go to a formerly all-white school not far from here. And on that first day of school, she had to be escorted by four federal agents. She had to be escorted through her mob of adults who had gathered at the school in protest. Adult men and women shouted things at Ruby, unimaginable things. They spit on this little girl and threw things at her. Because the color of her skin is different than theirs. Can you guys imagine this? Can you imagine that? Could you imagine that for your little sister? Hard to imagine, isn't it? She finally made it up to class. Ruby was told to choose any seat she wanted. You see, because she was the only student there. All of the white students had been held out of school. Their parents refused to send them to school with someone different than they were. So day after day, this little girl, six years old, six-year-old baby, came to school and walked through a mob, screaming at her, calling her all kind of horrible things. And one day as she's approaching the school, her teacher's standing at the window. A teacher had been noticing this day after day, that as she approaches the school, that as she comes to class, she appears to be talking to herself. So the teacher asks, she says, hey, Ruby, who are you talking to out there as you approach the school? 
who are you talking to? And Ruby says, in a matter-of-fact way, I'm just praying. What are you praying, Ruby? What are you praying? She says, oh, I'm praying for those people. Ruby's praying for the people who are spitting on her, who are calling a foul name. She's praying, God, please forgive these people, even if they say those bad things about me. They don't know what they're doing. So could you forgive them, Lord? Just like you did long ago when they said those horrible things about you. You see, this six-year-old girl is praying for her enemies. She's praying for the people who are persecuting her. She's praying, God, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Doesn't that sound a lot like a prayer? that Christ prayed as he was nailed to a cross? Who was the powerful one in this story? The angry mob? Or is it the six-year-old girl who gets it? We can compare the story of Ruby Bridges to the way much of the church in the United States acts out today. Instead of being known for our sacrificial love and how we pray for our enemies, we tend to be people who love our political power, but we hate gays. Call ourselves pro-life, but yet are pro-war. pro a people who express moral outrage on many, many political issues, but will be silent on things like taking care of the poor, the oppressed, or the elderly. How is it that some churches are so very rich, so very wealthy, Yet there are children in the world who don't have clean drinking water. And so are very many others who are starving to death. How is it that much of the church has become good at persecuting when Jesus, our Lord, was persecuted himself. Perhaps it's time for us as a church to start cooperating with the Spirit, moving towards mercy, towards love, 
and towards peacemaking. This man here, Desmond Doss, a quiet, skinny kid, 145 pounds, from Lynchburg, Virginia. He was a devout Seventh-day Adventist who honored the Ten Commandments without exception. He upheld the laws that was given to Moses. During World War II, most of the town where Desmond lived, the kids his age were being drafted to serve in the war. You see, Desmond worked in a plant where he wouldn't have to serve. But he wasn't okay with that. See, Desmond wasn't okay with that. He went down and joined the army. On April 1st, 1942, he enlisted to serve as a combat medic in the U.S. Army because he believed in the cause. During basic training, his religious beliefs were brought to light when he refused to carry a weapon and expressed his vow never to kill. From that point on, the army wanted nothing to do with Desmond Doss. See, Desmond Doss, he was persecuted. He didn't fit in in the Army's model of what a good soldier should be. During training, Doss's life became hell. It started out as harassment and then became abuse. You see, everyone in the unit that he served in did their best from the commanding officer down to get him to quit. Now as Desmond knelt at night, knelt, is that a word? Kneeled. At night to pray, they would spit on him, throw boots at him and hit him in his head. When he went to sleep, they would cover him with a blanket and beat the hell out of him. More than once. This happened every night. And when the doctors asked Desmond what, what happened, he would say he fell down. He wouldn't ride his unit out. He was there for a purpose. He was there because he had the calling to serve his country. After completing his training, Desmond was sent overseas to Okinawa with his unit, the same unit that hated him. He was sent as a combat medic, sent to a place called uh, Hacksaw Ridge. 
Hacksaw Ridge was a 250 foot tall escarpment, and at the top was a plateau where the Japanese was just entrenched. And as they were ordered to climb and take this place, as they got to the top, they were just being massacred. They were just being cut down. They were sitting ducks. They were being decimated as they reached the top. After a long battle, they were ordered to retreat. Retreat back down the escarpment to regroup. And as his unit retreated, all except for Desmond Doss, the coward. As you see, that coward heard people crying out, help me, God help me. <laughs> Desmond Dawes, the conscientious objector, without a weapon and under heavy fire, crawled from wounded soldier to wounded soldier, administering care when he could and either dragging or carrying men to the edge of this escarpment where he tied a rope around them and lowered them down to the soldiers who had retreated. And each time that Desmond lowered one down, he would say a prayer. He would say, God, Please help me get just one more. God, please help me get one more. And he did this over and over again. This coward did. At the end of the third day, on top of that plateau, at a place called Hacksaw Ridge, Desmond Doss had lowered 75 wounded men down that escarpment. When all others retreated, Desmond held true to his faith <laughs> and lowered 75 men down that escarpment to safety to the soldiers below. 2,500 men were killed that day. One man stayed up top and prayed a simple prayer. Lord, help me with just one more. Without picking up a weapon.
Come to find out Desmond had been shot twice. And had a broken arm. He didn't even realize it. God, please let me get just one more. A man who had been persecuted in the name of righteousness saved the lives of 75 of the same men who persecuted him. The same men who afterwards called him the bravest man alive. Oh, and by the way, he was the first conscientious objector to be awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor for, for bravery. During the ceremony, Desmond was asked, how was it? How was what you did even possible? He contributed his valor to God answering a simple prayer and he gave all glory to him. <laughs> he accepted no praise and didn't think he deserved the medal. These are big, powerful stories of what it is to be persecuted in the name of righteousness. Kind of like super Christians, so to speak. God blesses those super Christians, right? Who are all alone in hard places. They're the ones who God is with. Those who heroically, heroically live out their faith on a big stage. But what about the rest of us? Where do we fit in? Ordinary people with ordinary lives? People like you and me? I think that this blessing speaks to us all. All who are persecuted in the name of righteousness. For his name's sake. That whenever you follow Jesus, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something, guys. Sometimes it's the hard road. Even though you aren't praised or seen as a hero, yours is the kingdom of God, too. You see, God blesses us all. All of us. Even those of us who don't get it. The B team, the junior varsity. He blesses the people who can't seem to get it together. The homeless and the passed over. Addicts and alcoholics. Prostitutes and divorcees. The religious, the Pharisees and the Roman soldiers. Muslims and Christians, black and white, Democrat and Republican, homosexuals and bisexuals alike, wherever it is that you fit in, whatever it is that you call yourself. Church, let me ask you this. What if 
the Roman soldiers and the Pharisees who crucified Jesus, who beat him and hung him on a cross to die in the name of righteousness. They thought they were right. What if they were here among us today? What if they were sitting in those two empty seats? You see, our communion table, as you can see, are just simple cinder blocks and fence posts. And there's writing on them. What that writing is, is all of our junk, all of our stuff. It's who we are as a church. And no matter who you are or what you wrote on that table, we're all accepted here. We're all accepted here the same. In Jesus' name. If they were sitting there tonight, And came up and wrote on those boards all the horrible things they had done. They took a pen and wrote on there, I beat Jesus Christ. I nailed him to a cross. And laughed at him as he died. Would we accept him? Would we forgive him? As Christ forgave us. As Christ forgave us. Because you see, I know that the God that we serve, our Lord Jesus Christ, would forgive them just as he forgave us. Because you see, we're all welcome at this table. Wherever it is that you find yourself, persecuted or the persecutor, wherever it is you fit in, wherever it is that you find yourself today, we all just please stand up. Everybody stand. Now, would you please hold hands? I know that's a little uncomfortable <laughs> to some, sometimes. But I'm trying to make a point here. Please hold hands. While we pray, please remain standing after the prayer as Brian leads us once again in worship and we have communion together. Father, let this circle represent our community of faith. Father, all that we are, all of our stuff, all of our junk that we put on these bricks and boards that make up our community table. 
Let this circle represent who we are together. Our strengths as a community of faith and our weaknesses as individuals. Amen.